Hey there. Mouse Touch is live right now. Thanks for 322k, even though it's just law enforcement. Derailing me without a warrant for several years now. It's like, yeah, harassment. But I'm not the only one, so get me on the ballot, America, please. Here in Tucson, sign my petition to get Shimona for sheriff. If you like to have your civil rights observed, not just observed, but respected and practiced. Or just observed while they break them lawlessly. Come on, man. So they're supposed to be live right now. It's called Diaper Don Verdict Tsunami is Ready to Drown Him Legal AF. Sounds very promising. What the hell? Are they not? Uh, it's like freezing. Anyway, so shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona. And keep it watching, but Koyoki, travel with you, travel with you, travel with you. On the road with Trista Shaw, travel with you, travel with you, travel with you. Yeah, it's promising, man. I won't play. Fox News host goes off script and reports devastating poll for Trump. <laughs> start a start a Facebook page called Devastating Polls for Trump. <laughs> Quite funny. I just posted well tried to post ten minutes of stand-up comedy and uh, I just saw one comment and it said something like the terrorists start they spelled tear wrong the terror is showing in your tinsel what is it called Mind in life you can't let people get away with bullshit the new national poll shows Joe Biden beating Donald Trump in a hypothetical general election matchup. This is the latest Quinnipiac University well, survey. Biden leading Trump by six points, 50% to 44% among registered voters. Trends here may be changing uh, because President Trump has been leading uh, national poll after national poll over President Biden for the last couple of weeks. But... Not in this one. That's an outlier, though, right? Because eight other polls show the opposite. We'll see. It could be an outlier, or that could be the start of a new trend. We don't know. Okay, uh, come on. You know the thing that hurt as much as praising the economy. Yeah, look, it was a good quarter. Don't get me wrong. 3.3% uh, beat estimates. And the last quarter was a good quarter, 4.9%. Absolutely. So uh, he gets his due. If I were he, I'd be out slinging that hash, too. No problem. I, was, I mean, at my mea culpa, I was wrong about the slowdown in the recession. So was the entire I don't think you were wrong. forecasting for 
Well, the Fed, everyone's wrong. Okay. It's a new month, and on top of being forced to report on groundbreaking economic news across the board, Fox News were tasked with another tough challenge this week, reporting on a new poll that showed Biden beating Trump by five points. And our thoughts are sincerely with the Fox News hosts who had to report this on live TV. New poll finds Joe Biden is up six points in a hypothetical head-to-head rematch against Donald Trump. That's since December. Biden also has won over the majority of female voters at this point, independents and voters with college degrees. Trends here may be changing uh, because President Trump has been leading uh, national poll after national poll over President Biden for the last couple of weeks, but not in this one. And maybe it's an outlier, maybe it's not, but Quinnipiac has Biden up on Trump. Six points, 52-44. The Biden team has been trying to pivot to general election mode. They've been focusing on abortion access and on union jobs. And the Trump team has spent the last week or so dealing with his legal issues. This poll does have Haley doing better against Biden than Trump. She's got him, according to Quinnipiac, by 5, 47 to 42 nationally. But this is a matchup that's unlikely to happen based on current polling that puts Trump way ahead of her in primary states that she needs at the moment. And we may also have an answer to the question, who do third-party candidates hurt? Ultimately, according to this poll, they hurt Trump because both Biden and Trump lose support when polled against the major third parties. But Biden still wins in this poll. Uh, And if RFK Jr. continues playing 14%, he is certainly going to be a spoiler for one candidate or another because that is a huge percentage of the voting public. Back to you. That's an outlier, though, right? Because eight other polls show the opposite. We'll see. It could be an outlier, or that could be the start of a new trend. We don't know. Okay, uh, start a new trend, Peter. Go. He can't win independence. He can't win suburban women's, and there's a lot of other Republicans he's not getting. Think about the fact he did not get 43% of the vote in New Hampshire. In the poll yesterday from Quinnipiac, he's down 7% on to Biden. Now, as I've said in previous videos, I take polls with a tablespoon of salt. But the reason I highlight this is because when Fox News get a poll that they like, one that maybe favors their feelings cult leader, they can't elongate the segments enough. I mean, it's a migrant caravan on steroids. But now, well, they seem to be designating as much time on it as they did Trump's $83 million payout. Yeah, this is not the re-election strategy of a winning campaign. This is max of desperation and the fact that he's clinging to Taylor Swift. He couldn't even pick out of a lineup without Jill going like this. That's Taylor. Tells me everything you know about Is the strategy to owe $83 million dollars for defaming a woman that you sexually assaulted i would love taylor swift's endorsement any politician would I but i like you endorse what like i just said because that was the news from the weekend on that side and then joe biden was endorsement to church and you think it's the end of the world wait the church he goes to talk about let's he talk about that let's talk about a lawsuit then. go ahead jessica what are your thoughts my thoughts are that you shouldn't sexually assault people and then you shouldn't defeat Okay, was he found guilty of sexual yes, he assault? Was. He was. A he criminal? was by a jury. He was a criminal? Was it's a, that was civil. civil. Yeah. Oh, that means it doesn't count? Okay. It means it's not a guilty verdict. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, it's always nice to bring something up that, that has nothing to do to with your... the topic. It does. He said the campaign strategy. You know, just That's... stop interrupting everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but not to worry, I'll bring this poll down just for 
shit, this new Quinnipiac poll not only has Biden up, but let's look at the category, shall we? And up from the survey taken in December, which had Biden ahead by a single point. His new lead is driven largely by growing support among independents, who now back Biden by 12 points, twice as much as the previous poll. Also, among women, where Biden's lead is now 22 points up from 12 points in December. More women in this poll said they would support Biden over Trump, with 58% backing Biden and 36% backing Trump. This comes as Trump continues to brag about overturning Roe. Because for 54 years, they were trying to get Roe v. Wade terminated, and I did it. And I'm proud to have done it. They wanted to get it back, right? You wouldn't be have that. There would be no question. A decision that is not only wildly unpopular nationwide, but it's cost Republicans every single ballot that abortion has been on since Roe was overturned. I gotta say it. If you're over 50, you don't want to use traditional makeup. As we age, our skin tends to lose moisture, and we all get lines. Traditional makeup make us look older. Powders can be dry and heavy. Foundation could be too flat, making your skin look worse. We need something different. We need something... Turn. I gotta say it. It's just the truth. Donald Trump's Republican Party lost in 2017. They lost in 2018. They lost in 2019. They lost in 2020. They lost in 2021. But they got that red wave in 2022 that the media told. Oh, no, they didn't. The media was wrong again. <laughs> they lost in 2022. They've lost in elections in 2023. And my money's on them losing again in 2024. So both of you, young ladies, I was talking back and forth with you. And you said, look, you would vote for Nikki Haley. That's someone that you can see yourself voting for. But you said if it gets between Nikki Haley, uh, I'm sorry, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, again you will vote for who i will vote for president biden i have five grandchildren four of them are girls and i'm very concerned about women's issues and democracy president trump i would go home tonight i'd go to my victory party i would celebrate yeah. i made history yet again but then i'd go home and i'd look under the hood and when you look under the hood of our fox news voter analysis data you find that 32 percent of republicans say we wouldn't we won't vote for trump I've got to unite the party. That's the argument Nikki Haley's making. And number two, I would look, Nikki Haley won independence, according to Fox News voter analysis, 59 to 33. So I go home if I'm Trump, I celebrate, and then I say, I got to unite this party. I got to win independence. That's how I beat Biden. If she chooses, she will talk with her priest, her pastor, her rabbi, her imam. But it should not be the government telling her what to do. They are not asking anyone to abandon their personal beliefs. It's just the, the government should not, in, in this year of our Lord 2024, the government should not be telling women what to do with their bodies. So that should tell you enough. And when you look at the Franklin and Marshall College poll in Pennsylvania, it has Biden also up five points. This is in the same state that in 2016, Trump had a 0.7 polling lead over Hillary Clinton, whereas Biden had merely a 1.17 point lead back in 2020 over Trump. But to see it now as five, it surely has to be cause for concern for the defamer in chief. Yeah, Biden's approval is historically low. Why everybody, is that? Everybody, everybody, we're all, everybody's approval across the spectrum you find exceptions to that look it's been hard globally the last six seven years but again america stands tall with a tentpole of the world economy no peers economically again a master class of delivery the economy is booming inflation is cooling and of course the economic strategies this president put together were all things republicans dreamt of but never delivered he's delivered
Don't worry, Fox News are here to tell you how this latest defamation payout is actually a problem for Biden's campaign strategy. Love this video? Make sure you stay up to date on the latest breaking news and all things Midas by signing up to the Midas Touch newsletter at MidasTouch.com slash newsletter. Kind of hectic. We'll talk about in a little bit. Got paid $155,000 in the last financial disclosures. I think he's been paid a total of uh, $360,000 to $400,000 since he first started working for Donald Trump. So over well, the let, past let me tie it to this. You guys do a great job in the Brothers Podcast. He's 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 mowing his way through the primaries on the Republican side. But every day that Nikki Haley stays in the race is another 10 million, 20 million, 30 million dollars that he has to that he has to spend to attack her leading into South Carolina beyond. But then he's he's his money is it's fairly exhausted going into a very hard fought general election campaign against Joe Biden, who between the Democratic committee and Joe Biden's own abilities to raise copious amounts of money, he's going to have a problem. And if, yeah. if he keeps taking that 50 million, that 46 million dollar transfer from the super PAC that's for his presidential campaign back to a pack that could be used for his legal fees, that's $50 million he doesn't have to try to beat Joe Biden. So I don't think we should underestimate how much of a dire strait Donald Trump may be in come the battle, the real battle, not the polling battle, not, you know, all, you know, I love all the polls. They're all starting to round into form for Joe Biden now. But the real election campaign, when you got to buy media and you got to spend money on jets to get places, he's, he's getting tapped out. And this new order by Angoron, which should come out now, I think, mid-February. Mid-February is going to be very exciting on the Midas Touch Network <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Is going to be one nail in his coffin. I want to make one more point about that $48 million so-called springing loan between an entity controlled by Donald Trump, Chicago Union Acquisitions, and made to Donald Trump characterized as a bad bar. I want to talk about that. I also have this question, though, for you, Michael Popak. You and I have been around um, lawyers who charge a lot of money. I am familiar with legal fees that are very, very high. Donald Trump's $60 million legal fee, legal bill that these political action committees paid for, in just the year 2023 is shockingly high of a number and if you paid these lawyers you know you think about the four main criminal cases you know and those lawyers in that given year were making a million and a half or or two million dollars each which would be a lot of money for a lawyer but you know i mean i, I can see that maybe slightly more but the math just ain't math in Popak to get to $60 million with those four cases and then some of the civil cases, $60 million. And I just want to get your It's 73 before. It's 73 in total. It's 60 from the backs. It's 73 million. It's even higher. It makes your point even more. We'll take it up after your commercial. I, I, I want to ask you about that. I want to talk about that $48 million loan. And then I want to like a rocket ship go right into the Manhattan District <laughs> Attorney criminal case. We'll do all of that when we come back from our first quick break. 
What if ordinary people, just like you and me, could change the world with the push of a button? Meet Lomi, the world's first kitchen appliance designed to turn your home into a climate solution by transforming your food scraps into nutrient-rich plant food. Now that I've invested in a little more hours, Lomi transforms almost anything you eat into nutrient-rich plant food at the push of a button. Lomi helps cut the chore of taking out the trash in half. Okay, we're going to pull up. The calm before the storm. You know, Popak, when the tide is unusually low and the sea withdraws, there may be a tsunami on the horizon. The same is true with the Trump cases. Quiet in the New York Attorney General's civil fraud case. Well, Justice Arthur and Goran did not deliver the verdict this week of $370 plus million dollars like we all expected. And like he said he would likely do before February 1st, but he did receive a letter from the independent monitor, retired federal judge Barbara Jones, showing major problems with Donald Trump's financials during the period where the New York Attorney General civil fraud lawsuit was pending. And we also learned that Donald Trump's former chief financial officer and felon, Alan Weisselberg, is now in plea deal negotiations with the Manhattan District Attorney for perjury for things that he said during the New York Attorney General civil fraud trial. So no wonder Justice Arthur and Goron needed just a little bit more time. Now, <laughs> quiet in the Manhattan District Attorney criminal case against Donald Trump for hush money payments? Not for long. Later in March, that felony criminal trial against Donald Trump will start. And we're going to start talking about that. And the media is going to start talking about that because that is big. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, the first to file, the first to trial. We'll break it down. Also, what's going on in Fulton County? District Attorney Fawny Willis submitted a powerful brief showing the meritless nature of the personal and vindictive attacks against her by Donald Trump and his co-defendants. She also included some pretty great photographs and other evidence that she submitted, and we will talk about that. Also, what's going on in the Mar-a-Lago document case in the Southern District of Florida? Well, we're now learning that Donald Trump's co-defendant, Waltine Nauta, who was his former valet in the White House, also referred to as his current body man, was previously accused of sexual harassment and revenge porn before Donald Trump uh, decided to hire him. Surprise, surprise, birds of a feather, you know what they say. Also, we learned that Donald Trump had hidden rooms in Mar-a-Lago that may not have been searched by the FBI, and he changed the locks to his closet before the search by the FBI took place. Also, Special Counsel Jack Smith's team met with Judge Cannon this week to discuss classified documents at issue in the case judge cannon made up her own type of hearing a pre-hearing to a sepa section four hearing she just makes things up but we don't make things up here we just spit facts this is legal af i'm ben micellis joined by michael popak popak how are you sir i'm doing great sir, like how are you sir you were <laughs> yes sir <laughs> we're spit. We're spitting the facts. I, I uh, like the whole tsunami reference. I like the the tide rolling back because although we've all been tapping our foot and looking at our watch, waiting for the D.C. Court of Appeals to make its decision, we'll talk. We'll touch on that today. But when we think that's going to come, and then the impact of that, like a domino, 
on the other things that you touched on. I did a hot take on the red letter day for Donald Trump being the 15th of February, because that's when we're really going to find out what Judge Rashawn is going to do in New York with the Stormy Daniels hush money case, or as Alvin Bragg has taken to calling it, the dress rehearsal for election interference by Donald Trump, which I think is a very smart and canny way to uh, to uh, phrase what's going on. We keep calling it the, the affair hush money cover-up case. I like the election interference first draft case better. But we're going to know, and I think we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it today, but the D.C. Court of Appeals ruling would would be known, I believe, hopefully, by Judge Bershon by the 15th. And I still think that if the D.C. Court of Appeals makes its ruling quick enough and the, the, um, the little thing, the little um, cheat sheet I can give our, our audience is that whatever date the D.C. Court of Appeals returns the mandate to Judge Chutkin, hopefully, and says immunity is off, get your case restarted, just add plus two months. Because she, Donald Trump basically had been preparing for five months, and and, and uh, Judge Chutkin's position has always been he needs seven, at least, in total to prepare. So we're going to have to add plus two months to whatever comes back. So if it happens in February, we're looking at maybe May. I think that's going to go into the minds of Judge Mershon, um, who's respectful of Judge Chutkin. If she says, I can't get it done, then I think he'll slide his case and we'll talk about it in March. But if she says she's going to go in April or May, I'm not sure that the Stormy Daniels case actually ends up going first. But we'll, I'll tell you more why when we get to that segment. And we're going to debate that because I think that this Manhattan District Attorney case is going to go late March, early April. I think we'll have a verdict there by May. I think you then will have the uh, Washington, D.C. federal criminal case against Donald Trump slotted in sometime shortly thereafter. Maybe June, July would be ideal. The question is also, though, what's Judge Eileen Cannon going to do? Because she still has that trial date set for May uh, 20th of this year, Judge Eileen Cannon does, but Judge Cannon has not issued a single substantive order. Um, we're approaching that status conference and trial setting review that she scheduled for March 1st. So where she hasn't made any substantive order on some of the most basic of things, how is Judge Eileen Cannon going to be able to make any rulings when Donald Trump starts filing his frivolous motions to dismiss and other more kind of substantive motions if she can't even read a statute like SEPA, but we will get to that later in the show. So all eyes were on the New York Attorney General Civil Fraud Justice Arthur Ngoron, the justice presiding over that case, because back on January 11th, after closing arguments concluded, it was Justice Arthur Ngoron, who stated that he hoped to have his final verdict in before February 1st. Now, although aspirational, Justice Arthur Ngoron's M.O. is to beat his aspirational deadlines and not go past them. So something had to happen this week when we learned that uh, the final ruling Maybe the first week of February, maybe the second week of February, there may be some delay there. And I understand why people would be upset. And I was getting the comments, Ben, you, Popot, Karen, Midas Touch, you told us 
that this ruling was going to happen before February 1st. Well, we told you what Justice Arthur and Goran said, that he said that's when the order was going to happen. But, you know, when we follow data the same way a meteorologist kind of follows weather patterns, right, there could be intervening variables that sometimes slow down the storm, push the storm in a different direction. So that's just a natural part of reviewing data to make these best case predictions. So the question becomes, were there intervening acts that could have led to a fastidious, meticulous justice like Arthur and Goran saying, I need another week or I need another two weeks now. And I think the answer, and I'll get your take, Popak, is a resounding yes. Two major developments, not small developments, major kind of case shattering in a way, or I would say case compounding in, in this case, pieces of data that we got first on Monday, retired federal judge Barbara Jones, who's the independent monitor for the past 14 months, who was appointed in this case after Justice Arthur and Goran found systemic, persistent, ongoing fraud by the Trump organization, she submitted a letter to Justice Arthur and Goran and said, look, judge, during the pendency of my monitorship over the past 14 months, I found incomplete financial statements. I found inconsistent financial statements. I found erroneous financial statements. Then she drops this bombshell in footnote six that says, on some of Donald Trump's financials, he talks about this $48 million loan from one entity he controlled called Chicago Unit Acquisitions. It's a springing loan made to himself, meaning he as the lender characterized himself as the borrower, as basically being a problematic borrower necessitating a spring loan. But in any event, as weird as that is, the loan doesn't exist, she says. Like no one could find this forty-eight million dollars so she said look i'm just a monitor i don't have additional authority so i'm just telling you what i've seen justice agora trump's lawyer cliff robert responded and said that this this judge is like the, one of the most respected monitors out there like one of the most respected retired federal judge trump's lawyer cliff robert like a nobody lawyer who's now getting paid millions of dollars by trump's political action committee said that she lacks competency attacks the monitor, this well-respected retired federal judge. And then Popak, he got this bombshell with Alan Weisselberg in plea negotiations for uh, committing perjury in this case, in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case. So I would say those are two major things that if I'm the judge and I'm finishing up my order, I'm dotting my I's, I'm crossing my T's, those two things come across my desk, any judge would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me process this data. Let me see how I react. Popak, what do you make of it, sir? I'm going to continue your meteorological thematic here. Sometimes when you see the tides, something is influencing them going up and down. And we found out later as primitive people, it was the moon. Now I think we're, we're seeing why there is delay. It's not because Arthur and Goron has writer's block and he can't finish the order, which was probably two-thirds done before he even entertained closing arguments two or three weeks ago. It's because he knew that the monitor report was coming in for Barbara Jones. I want to talk about that next. And he maybe got an inkling that the, new, the relatively new lawyer for 
the disgraced Alan Weisselberg, who apparently everybody knew, we reported it on the Midas Touch Network Legal AF, Forbes magazine ran it in real time while Alan Weisselberg was testifying effectively or not effectively for Donald Trump um, mm -hmm. in the civil fraud case that, that uh, Weisselberg had perjured himself. The headline in the Forbes magazine article was Alan Weisselberg just perjured himself because he lied about his interactions with Forbes magazine, who was setting the... Uh, the uh, value of Donald Trump's balance sheet for its Forbes 400 list about the size we're back to this. I, I, whenever I talk about Trump and size, I always start to giggle, but the <laughs> size of his triplex apartment, 10,000 versus 30,000 square feet. Now Weisselberg told the judge on the stand under oath that he never, never um, thought twice about the size of the apartment on the balance sheet because it wasn't a big driver of the ultimate number. And that's a lie. He had told Forbes magazine in an interview in the triplex, waving his arms around, look at this. It's three levels. It's 30,000 square feet. It has a, a multiple balconies here on, on Fifth Avenue. And they said, okay, great. Well, they, we, we got to say he's got $1.7 billion then. So that was a lie. And the problem, um, I'll just stay on the Alan Weisselberg thing. He's got a new, he's got Seth uh, Clayman, a very well-known white-collar lawyer. More importantly, he's not being paid by Donald Trump's side. Originally, Alan Weisselberg had a Trump-paid lawyer, but he doesn't now. And that's why we've always known that the uh, Manhattan DA's office was putting pressure on Weisselberg. We knew that from last February in articles and, and reporting. They were trying to squeeze him to either use him in the Stormy Daniels election interference case that we'll talk about soon, or to get him, or, or through the New York Attorney General, in that case, to get him to cooperate. But now they just caught him in a lie. And so what does the judge now have in front of him? It's now fully reported in the paper, whether the judge was tipped off or not by the New York Attorney General's office, which I, he might have been, but if not, he, he read it, that Alan Weisselberg, one of the key witnesses for Donald Trump, is now going to is now going to admit to committing the crime of perjury not once but twice including in an interview that he gave to the uh, Manhattan DA's office back way back when that was under oath as well so what do you have if you're the judge you take all of Donald Trump's experts off the board because he already found that all of the experts not helpful not expert in the field that was relevant to the issues that he had to decide or were paid uh, there's a word for it has to do with a person that's a sex worker because they'll do anything for a million dollars, which is what he called the NYU professor who got on the stand for Donald Trump. So take all of them off the board. He already found Donald Trump to be a liar and not truthful under oath about the uh, doxing and attack of his, uh, his principal law clerk leading to the gag order when he got him under oath. Take him off the board. So who are you left with? You've got the Weisselbergs gone. Now you're left with McConney, the controller, a bunch of lower-level, mid-level executives at the company who told the truth about cooking the books on the statement of financial condition, and that all helps the judge ratchet this number could go up from $370 million plus based on the fact that there was no countervailing evidence and worse, perjury committed in the judge's court. On the monitor issue, I stopped. The, the, the attacks on the monitor, let me just explain monitors to our audience for a minute, having worked with receivers and monitors in my career. Monitors are the quarterback. They hire other professionals to help them in areas where they may not be expert. I don't expect Barbara Jones, a 
really well-known and, and, and uh, accomplished civil litigator who then became a federal judge to like know her ins and outs of balance sheet and, and general accepted accounting principles, gap accounting. But I do expect, and I'm sure it's in her bills, that she has hired a top three accounting firm to be her advisor. Monitors hire experts and consultants to consult with them about things that they're looking at with they're being asked to look at balance sheets. The $48 million issue, Ben, is troubling at a number of levels. First of all, as you said, it's a phantom made-up loan. What it really indicates is that they needed to come up with a plug because they couldn't get their balance sheets, to, they couldn't get their uh, their accounting papers to balance, and you got to balance them. And so, but that's a huge plug to stick in as a hold number, forty-eight million, and then write it off as a loan to Donald Trump when none existed. It so it, it completely undermines the reliability, as we expect, of any of the financial records for the judge or otherwise. And is exactly what this case is all about, which is the unreliability and the fraud that's baked into financial records in New York. Um, lastly, on the what I might take away on the monitor, and I think the judge will also add this into the order, is that um, we're maybe not in the order, but I think it's the byproduct of what's happened here. Trump organization apparently is like almost out of business of day-to-day -day operations other than revenue-generating assets like 40 Wall Street, which Donald Trump loves to do press conferences from. Um, it's a commercial property down in Lower Manhattan or Mar-a-Lago or some golf courses and some other licensing agreements. Sure, it's generating 50 or $60 million probably a profit a year. But in 14 months, the, the monitor reported there was not another transaction. There wasn't a bank loan because who's going to lend him money? There wasn't a, uh, a, a, a buy, a sell. You know, they're trying to sell a house and an airplane, but they're not doing day-to-day -day development or real estate transactional work in 14 months, which is very unusual, probably because they can't do it without committing fraud. But the reality is that then puts, and we'll talk about it throughout the podcast, that then puts tremendous financial pressure on, on Trump. Hello, welcome back. We're listening to Legal AF live streamed right now. Extra 322K, even if it's just law enforcement surveilling me without a warrant. Trump, because, look, asking your your gullible supporters to send you another 10 or 20 or 30 million dollars. Okay. The judgments that he's looking at, the 85 million, the 83 and a half million dollars. Gene Carroll. Of four or five hundred million dollars, which will all be due around the same time, subject to appeals, that's a lot of effing money. And he doesn't have it from assets generated. Like, I'm not here to feel sorry for Donald Trump because the Trump family brings in 60 million dollars a year or so in, in net profit. But, you know, he's got a lot of expensive habits, a lot of people on the dole, a lot of family members sucking off that, you know, you know what. And uh, now he's going to have to go find another $500 million to pay off judgments. It's everything you and I said a year and a half ago about this collision on Donald Trump and the pressure on Donald Trump financially caused by the New York Attorney General case. I think we're starting to see the beginnings of it right now. A lot of strong imagery right there, uh, <laughs> Michael Bobine. <laughs> By the way, did you see the um, those FEC reports 
uh, from Donald Trump's political action committees all looking like a shell game. This one lent, this one that lent, this one that lent, this one. But then Melania got $368,000 funneled to her stylist and $1.7 million went to Donald Trump's private jets and $50 million to $60 million went to legal fees. Waltine Nauta, who we'll talk about in a little bit, got paid $155,000 in the last financial disclosures. I think he's been paid a total of uh, three hundred and sixty to four hundred thousand dollars. He first started working for Donald Trump. So over well, the let, past let me tie it to this. You guys do a great job in the Brothers podcast. He's 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 mowing his way through the primaries on the Republican side. But every day that Nikki Haley stays in the race is another 10 million, 20 million, 30 million dollars that he has to that he has to spend to attack her leading into South Carolina beyond. But then he's he's his money is it's fairly exhausted going into a very hard fought general election campaign against Joe Biden, who between the Democratic committee and Joe Biden's own abilities to raise copious amounts of money, he's going to have a problem. And if, yeah. if he keeps taking that 50 million, that 46 million dollar transfer from the super PAC that's for his presidential campaign back to a PAC that could be used for his legal fees, that's $50, $50 million he doesn't have to try to beat Joe Biden. So I don't think we should underestimate how much of a dire strait Donald Trump may be in come the battle, the real battle, not the polling battle, not, you know, all, you know, I love all the polls. They're all starting to round into form for Joe Biden now. But the real election campaign, when you got to buy media and you got to spend money on jets to get places, he's, he's getting tapped out. And this new order by Angoron, which should come out now, I think, mid-February, mid-February is going to be very exciting on the Midas Touch Network <laughs> for a lot of reasons, is going to be one nail in his coffin. I want to make one more point about that $48 million so-called springing loan between an entity controlled by Donald Trump, Chicago Union Acquisitions, and made to Donald Trump characterized as a bad bar. I want to talk about that. I also have this question, though, for you, Michael Popak. You and I have been around um, lawyers who charge a lot of money. I am familiar with legal fees that are very, very high. Donald Trump's $60 million legal fee, legal bill that these political action committees paid for in just the year 2023 is shockingly high of a number. And if you paid these lawyers, you know, you think about the four main criminal cases, you know, and those lawyers in that given year were making a million and a half or or $2 million each, which would be a lot of money for a lawyer. But, you know, I mean, I, I can see that maybe slightly more. But the math just ain't math in Popak to get to $60 million with those four cases and then some of the civil cases, $60 million. And I just want to get your... Uh, it's uh, 73 before. It's 73 in total. It's 60 from the packs. It's $73 million. Even higher, it makes your point even more. We'll take it up after your commercial. I, I, I want to ask you about that. I want to talk about that $48 million loan. And then I want to, like a rocket ship, go right into the Manhattan District <laughs> Attorney criminal case. We'll do all of that when we come back from our first quick break.
What if ordinary people, just like you and me, could change the world with the push of a button? Meet Lomi, the world's first kitchen appliance designed to turn your home into a climate solution by transforming your food scraps into nutrient-rich plant food. Now that I've invested in a Lomi, it's changed the way I deal with my food waste. Lomi is the biggest... Lomi, look at it. Head MI inspired... Then there's going to be another commercial after this. Wait. Our codes are in the descriptions below. It's one of the ways we uh, keep building this independent media platform. So I want to give a shout out to them. Michael Popak, before the break, I was saying, I've seen a lot of big legal bills in my time, but still this number and just the, the shell game of this pack is transferring to MAGA Inc., which is transferring to Save America Joint Committee, which is transferring to this one. The, the, the most interesting data point I found when I looked at these various Trump financial disclosures from his political action committees, the only one that was actually labeled legal defense fund that had that name, that raised like the least like $1.6 million. So I think when people kind of knew, oh, that's where it's going, that one did 1.6. But, you know, the other ones um, were spending all of this money on legal bills. What's your take, though, just on the amount? What's your opinion? It just seems very, very high for, like, any law firm or law firms for a year, even with the amount of cases he's facing. I was doing the math here on the back of an envelope with my green pen while you were talking. And and yeah, I agree with you. I'll tell you why. I mean, why I agree with you and uh, why you're right. Um, first of all, let's, let's uh, set the cast of characters here. We are not talking about, for obvious reasons, the, the leading elite lawyers in America working at the top law firms. I'll give you an example. The lawyers involved are closer to my vintage than yours, Ben, and people at that vintage let's say in a major firm in New York or Washington or LA where you practice is uh, $1,200, $1,300, $1,400 an hour. Um, so, but that's at the top, top firms. If you're at a boutique firm like mine, it's less. And then you go from there. These are lawyers that are working at two and three person law firms, not 2000 person, two and three person law firms, two of them, two of them, Todd Blanche and Chris Keis left major law firms to set up their own, into, not together, two separate law firms, just to represent basically Donald Trump. Alina Haba, okay, in her little, and I'm in New Jersey, where I live, her little New Jersey law firm, Todd, if she, before she met Donald Trump, if she was bringing in as a firm $3 million for the entire year, I'd be shocked, okay? So these are not people that were charging $1,400 an hour. So I did the math. A firm of their size, even with all of, without trial, this has all been motion practice, indictments, arraignments, for the four criminal cases, let's say that was $5 million a year. Problem is he's got multiple firms on these things. So, but he could have done it for, let's say, $20 million in total. The E. Jean Carroll case, twice, another $10 million. Now I'm at thirty. The all the plaintiffs work that Boris Epstein told him he should file against Hillary Clinton, the New York Times, the Pulitzer Board, you name it, Michael Cohen, 
let's just make that another five million because mm -hmm. none of those cases got out of the starting blocks. They all got dismissed and he got sanctions <laughs> before they they could even be cases. So I'm up to I'm up to thirty five million. Which but what happened to the other? If I'm right about the seventy three million in total, and you're right about the sixty million that's on the packs, what Why is it double? Um, and so because okay, first of all, and then but but then he's also paying. Let me just throw another fudge factor in there. He's also reportedly paying not Rudy Giuliani's attorney's fees, but apparently has been paying attorney's fees for others for periods of time. One's in the Jan Six Committee. You know, he paid Cassidy Hutchinson's for a while until she grew a moral conscience and went out and hired her own lawyer or, or vice versa. And so if you add in, I don't know, another 15 million, you're still short. You're still short. But 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 whether it's your numbers, your math, my math, or the real math, whatever it is, I figure it now the burn rate for Donald Trump for his own defense costs, his own plaintiff's costs, the trials that have already happened, the trials that will happen in the future, like there's another major class action civil fraud case against Trump, Ivanka, the kids, all that, that's also being prosecuted by uh, E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, Robbie Kaplan. He's got a Although I think rate. the class wasn't certified in that one. Oh, it wasn't so. certified? Okay. So, but is it going to trial? No. Yeah, no, that, that, I think that one got derailed because oh, got the derailed? judge denied class certification. Oh, okay, all right. But anyway, it's, whatever the civil fraud cases that are out there, you're, he's got a burn rate. What do you think, Ben? $10 million a month? The way, the way he's purportedly yeah. spending his money. You know, when I when, when I look at those financials, too, and I saw, you know, what was it? You know, $7.8 million on ads. But, you know, all this other money that was being spent on, you know, you know, his legal fees. And look, this is someone who purports to be a billionaire. He goes out and says how rich he is. But then Mr. and Mrs. Magadonia in middle America, <laughs> they're paying three hundred and sixty eight thousand dollars for a billionaire's wife's hair and stylist, $18,000 every month for her stylist. And, she doesn't, and, and by the way, she's not yeah. even on the campaign trail. She's, no, she's nowhere to be seen. Ten and then cent. you have Sorry, and Mr. and Mrs. Magadonia are paying $1.7 million for Donald Trump's private jet. You're paying for a billionaire's legal fees, a billionaire's private jet. And when Donald Trump was asked at a recent press conference if he would use campaign money to pay for these penalties or judgments, Donald Trump's response was like, what do you mean? I've won all of the cases. And the reporter's like, no, you've lost. You have major. There's no, I didn't. I won. The Court of Appeals said I won. And, and that's not real. That's what he and, and you know and Mr. and Mrs. Magadonia keep on keep on spending. Do you remember? Money. You remember we did this. We did this uh, uh, six months to a year ago. We found buried in the footnotes that now when you donate to his pack, ten cents of every dollar is being brought over to pay for his attorney's fees, whether you like it or not. This is this is independent from send me money for my attorney's fees. Just ten ten cents of every dollar that Mr. and Mrs. Mag yeah. Magadonia. Uh, donate is just siphoned off to pay for his attorney's fees. Um, so I, you know, whether it's five million, seven million, or ten million dollars a month, all of that—it's um, a zero-sum game. Every dollar he's got to pay for attorney's fees is one less dollar he has to do battle with Joe Biden. Which is one of the reasons, you know, Joe Biden is sitting pretty now in a pile of cash and the DNC looking good, while the Republican National Committee looks like they're about to file bankruptcy if that's possible. Well, because why would you donate to the RNC if you know that the likely place where that's going to go is Melania's heir or Donald Trump's legal fees and that a purported billionaire 
is not going to spend a single cent of his own money. You know, and one of the reasons I ask you about, you know, and why I wanted to raise like at least a red flag there that even if you're estimating high on these legal fees, the math still ain't math. And yeah. there's this entity gives to this entity, which gives to that entity, which, by the way, is how he's run all of his businesses his entire life into the ground. I mean, here's the thing. Trump's a lifelong loser. He's a destroyer, not a builder. Before he disgraced the White House, almost every business he touched went bankrupt. He bankrupted casinos and he would do the stupidest thing. Like he'd open up a casino and then open up a casino to compete against his casino. And people would say, you're going to cannibalize your casino by having two casinos competing against each other. And what would he do? He would do the whole kind of flash thing, get the media attention. Everybody would be raising the red flag saying, this is not sustainable. He would just say it is, it is. And then it would go bankrupt. That's the story of this guy's life who inherited all of this money, and now the Republican Party, the RNC, his political action committees, the state Republican parties are all looking like this. You go to the Arizona, Michigan, you take a look at um, the uh, you know state Republican parties across Minnesota, take a look at state Republican parties across the country, they are all going bankrupt because they're in the image of Donald Trump, but I digress there. I wanted to mention this one thing too, though, this $48 million loan, one thing it could be is this unlawful debt parking scheme. You know, I need more data, of course, but uh, it raises serious questions that I think are worth investigating, you know, which is that the entity Chicago Unit Acquisitions, which claims it held this debt, it claimed that the borrower was Donald Trump. So Donald Trump owned an entity. He was borrowing from the entity. And as you dig deeper, what seems to have happened was in 2008, when Donald Trump uh, took these loans from Deutsche Bank and Fortress and a bunch of other financial entities, Donald Trump screwed up the financing with the Chicago skyscraper. There was an economic downturn, of course, in 2008, the housing market term. Donald Trump was again facing more bankruptcies, more default. So what does he do? He sues Deutsche Bank. He sues all of the lenders because that's what he does. Brings these kind of, you know, you know, kind of bogus claims that he's just going to kind of grind people down and bully them. And ultimately, the lenders, they forgave his debt or a significant portion of the debt. In other words, kind of allowing him to basically build the building for free. The issue is the IRS taxes debt that is forgiven as income. But if you want to avoid that, sometimes there's a way to park your debt somewhere else, but you have to be paying it back. Someone else can acquire your debt. You can renegotiate the terms. So it raised a lot of red flags when it seemed that, seems that Donald Trump was saying that that debt forgiven in 2008 was being parked at a company that he owned doing a loan with himself, a springing loan, which is a way of kind of having some sort of punitive type uh, repercussions because the borrower is viewed as someone who could be problematic. And so by one kind of structuring it as a springing loan and knowing that certain interest off of debt can also be written off if Trump was structuring these terms with himself, and then you factor in that 
Trump was probably claiming that the debt was not forgiven by Deutsche Bank and Fortress and others, but that it simply transferred to this other entity. And now knowing that this other entity actually didn't hold the debt at all, but it was being reflected as though it existed, one can, one can argue or one can investigate the fact, again, more data is needed here, that this was a way for Trump to avoid paying income taxes on the debt that was forgiven in the debt forgiveness settlement with Deutsche Bank. And that has always been a question that's, what's this $48 million springing loan? What is this about? So I think it raises a lot of questions. I wanted to explain debt parking for people who you know were a little bit confused about what that means, but that's why I wanted to flag the one. One other quick point, Judge Barbara Jones, she's been paid about $2.6 million to date as part of her monitorship. One of the arguments that Trump made this past week is that she just wants to stay on this case because she's getting rich off of Donald Trump and she's greedy. She doesn't need this case. You know how Michael Popak talked about those big prestigious law firms that can get paid huge amounts of money. She's one of them. Anybody would hire her. She's one of the most in-demand people for this. So she certainly doesn't need Donald Trump. It's probably a headache. But one of the things I want everybody to look for in Justice Arthur and Goron's final order is a continued monitorship with more robust powers for somebody like a Judge Barbara Jones, who can kind of swoop in very quickly, post-judgment, flag problems, and Justice Ngoron can issue immediate remedies going forward, as opposed to the New York Attorney General having to file seriatim new lawsuits, new lawsuits each time there's an incident. That's gonna be almost equally as powerful, in my view, as the over, as the underlying monetary amount, which of course is going to be that one, one comment on that. She's basically begging the judge to expand, as you're, as you mentioned, to expand the scope of her monitorship. She keeps saying, I, I was not hired to look for fraud. I can't tell you whether there's fraud going on in this organization. I can tell you a lot of things. I can tell you about their not being responsive and them doing transactions they didn't tell me about until after the fact. And then and money that was flying around that should have been reported to me at the $5 million threshold. I can tell you all that. I can tell you about what they've done or haven't done. I can't tell you whether there's fraud. If I'm judging Goron in a case that's all about fraud, at least in the past, if he's gonna allow these companies to stay in business, going forward. You're right, Ben. She has to. She's inviting more. Yes, I know Donald Trump will say she's inviting more work to line her pockets, you know, the way that Fawdy Willis is when we get to Georgia, because she she likes to, you know, sip mimosas with her boyfriend and double trees and the taxpayer dole. This is Trump's argument, not, not reality. But uh, Robert Jones is right. I mean, if I'm the judge, how can you ignore, how do you not circle I cannot tell you whether there's fraud going on in the organization. Well, find out, Barbara. I'm, could, I'm now putting that as part of the scope of your engagement. I think that will be in the final order. I think that's what Ngoron is doing now. Oh, God, at this weird springing loan, this, that. We want you to report back to us on these inconsistencies in addition to all of the other remedies from you know dissolution to the ban to the monetary uh, remedy. Michael Popak, Manhattan District Attorney, a uh, criminal case for the hush money payments, as you said, Alvin Bragg's referring it to as the Trump's first attempt to interfere with an election, because that's really what it was. He wanted to hide the um, 
whatever you want to call the three seconds he happened to whatever with Stormy Daniels and then cover it up through uh, referring to it as or putting it on his books as legal fees. This is a felony case, carries with it felony implications um and it's going to start it's going to start heating up so why don't we hear about just kind of you know your thoughts on this case heating up and then let's uh, let's do that debate you know and, and i'll let you kind of start it off sure. why you think that um the the dc case if we hear from the dc circuit you think that the manhattan district attorney case still may be pushed back to allow sure. for the dc case to go first happy to so um, again, this is all our reasoned um, speculation based on data points, and they can be read different ways. And um, it could just as easily go the way that you outlined it. So let let me um, kind of give where I where I what my understanding is. Um, gearing up for a trial is not something that a trial team led by Alvin Bragg, and I've been on plenty of trial teams. Um, you don't just wake up one morning and look at your clock and go, shit, I got a trial in uh, in two months. I better get going. They've been working on preparing for this with a March trial date target, regardless of whether it actually goes in March, for at least the last three to four months. And the reporting is that it's starting in earnest now as the calendar turned from January to February, and they've reached out to key witnesses like our fellow podcaster on the Midas Touch Network, Michael Cohen, who will play a role the way he played a role in the New York Attorney General case, probably a bigger role, frankly. You know, the, the reporting has always been, and Alvin Bragg has been on our show being interviewed by by our uh, our former prosecutor and leader of legal AF, Karen Freeman Niffalo. Um, you know, Alvin, it's, it's public, how to get comfortable Michael Cohen as a primary witness for the prosecution. And he didn't, he wasn't in the beginning when he first took office. And that was the whole public um, display by special prosecutors, you know, Mark Pomerantz and his partner who left noisily. And wrote, you, you, we did a whole lot. I pulled over on the side of a road and we, we did all live, you know, whatever it was at the time, Twitter live at the moment, spaces about it. Uh, but that was because fundamentally, um, Alvin had to get comfortable with Michael as a, as a witness, but he did after six or seven or eight and whatever it is, the amount of times that Michael has reportedly met with the new, the Manhattan uh, DA's office, uh, Alvin, Alvin sat in on a few of those. He got comfortable. He got comfortable that knowing everything about Michael's background, knowing everything about his serving time and what he's, what he's admitted to doing and, and, uh, and all of that, and having seen him be a witness uh, he got a, a dress rehearsal at the New York Attorney General's case. Um, Alvin got right with, with Michael as a major witness. And there's other witnesses, of course. Alan Weisselberg, because the way just we keep talking about it in shorthand because you and I have lived, not like Michael, but we've lived the Stormy Daniels election interference case for so long. But let me just do two minute primer. While he was a candidate, Donald Trump had Fair, as, as you alluded to, Ben, is not the right word. He had a 20-minute sexual encounter with a porn star. Uh, who's, who goes Some name? say it was about Less. 30 seconds. <laughs> Stormy said it was 30 seconds. <laughs> He's the original Minuteman, as we like to say. So Donald Trump um, wanted that to go away, <laughs> along with a bunch of other um, in, uh, sexual encounters that he had outside of his marriage while he was a candidate. So the evidence, as alleged in the indictment, is that he d 
devised, along with the publisher of the National Enquirer, a buddy of his down in Boca Raton, Florida, named David Picard, who's now been kicked out and is cooperating with another big witness for the Manhattan DA, devised the plan. They called it, or David called it, the catch and kill program, as opposed to catch and release. And what it would be is David and the National Enquirer would reach out to these women, buy their story from them, pay them money, see where this is going, and then kill the story, not run it, and sign them up to confidentiality provisions and non-disclosure agreements to, to make sure that they don't talk. And so they did a test run with... Um, what could, what could go wrong what there? Could go wrong with that? Yeah. What, could, what could go wrong with that arrangement? There's nothing. So <laughs> he, he, and this, all the aspects of Donald Trump, cheap, not paying people, you know, all came to a head with David Picard because David Picard, they did a test run with uh, Susan McDougall. I know it's McDonald, but it, or she was a former Miss Miss America. They paid her a hundred. David Picard paid her a hundred hundred thirty thousand dollars, which seems to be the going rate to pay off people. But he did it out of his own money, expecting to be paid back by Donald Trump. And he caught the he caught it, signed her to an NDA, and she never went public while Donald Trump was running for office in 2016, which is exactly the purpose of the plan. Then he didn't get paid back by Donald Trump. So he said, I'm not doing that again. So Michael Cohen, who was the, uh, Donald Trump's lawyer and consigliere, he stepped forward, or Donald Trump made him step forward, and devised a plan with Alan Weisselberg, now disgraced, soon-to-be, second-time convicted perjurer, who was the CFO at the time, who they devised a plan where Michael would lay out the money to pay Stormy Daniels the hundred and whatever thousand dollars, and then Michael would submit invoices for legal services not provided, so to speak, and he would get back plus a bonus for participating, a vig, as we like to say in New York, for doing it. And Michael, that's how they did it. He paid Stormy, they signed an NDA, and then Michael got paid back. And on the books and records of the company, this is the fraud, this is the crime, um, this is the felony, he wrote no uh, legal expenses, Michael Cohen, bonus, Michael Cohen, then reference the Stormy Daniels payoff, which Donald Trump did to it to help his campaign. And the campaign, they shouldn't have used their dollars either, but it was a campaign benefit to Donald Trump. This is the argument. This is the second crime that's required to ratchet this up to a felony, selection interference aspect of it. And so that's that was the scheme. So Michael Cohen is a lead, a lead witness, now soon to be taking a plea deal potentially for perjury. Alan Weisselberg, David Picard, they might bring in Susan McDougal, McDonald, whatever her name is. The I, I, I just it's it, Karen is, McDougal. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Susan was the other Clinton. Right. Karen Clinton, McDougal right. Right. and um, Playboy, not. Not Miss America. Shit. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Look, Popak, you've you've given a lot of a, a lot of good imagery today. Okay. So, uh, all right. Thank you. <laughs> I, I get that. The, I get what you're top of my head. I, I, and 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 sorry to Miss America pageant. I'm not trying to confuse you with Playboy magazine. Okay. Now look, that's the that's the. There's not a lot of moving parts here. The feds were rumored to have not been interested in that case because they had concerns about Michael Cohen as a witness, let's be frank. And secondly, they had already, and Jack Smith was involved, they had already tried a similar case like this against uh, John Edwards, who was running for president, when he used campaign dollars to pay off his mistress who was having his baby. And that didn't go well with the jury. And so they were had already been singed, and they didn't want to do another 
campaign money used for mistress or sexual exploit thing. They want to do that. But now we're ready. We're ready to go. Now let me just let me just end it this way. Uh, there's a certain there's a there's a tremendous amount of respect between Alvin Bragg and Mershon on one side, Judge Mershon on one side, and and Jack Smith and Judge Chutkin, DC election interference case on the other. And we know from reporting that the two chambers talked to each other, uh, the chambers for Chuck and the chambers for Rashad. And Rashad had and Bragg had uh, graciously agreed, as usual, for the feds to go first if they were going to be conflicting and let that trial go first. And again, let me just say what I've said before and you've said before in hot takes. There's no simultaneous criminal trials that would violate due process of even Donald Trump. So it, one at a time, and there has to be a gap in between to give somebody time to ramp back up for the next criminal trial. So that that would happen. So the we've always talked about March 24th or so for the trial of, of Stormy Daniels, but the reality is there is a hearing that's been on the books for a while on February 15th. Same time, Judge McAfee is going to be deciding what to do about. Uh, Bonnie Willis will get there next in an evidentiary hearing is also a day when when Judge Rashad is going to finally set the trial and the pretrial moments in the, the milestones in the case leading to that trial. It could easily be the March 24th date that's been reserved on the calendar. You don't have any reason to believe that he's taken it off the calendar the way Judge Shutkin has. We'll talk about that a little bit later. However, by that point, he may also get benefit rest of America, too, of the D.C. appellate court finally, you know, wrestling with whatever Henderson is doing over there. Judge Henderson, who seems to never want to vote against Donald Trump in caucus when she has to make a decision. And hopefully they finally render a decision which which lets the D.C. election interference case restart plus two months. If that happens, I could easily see a scenario where Judge Chutkin announces before February 15th that she's able to do her trial in fill in the blank. And these two and these people, Chuck Mershon um, and Bragg say, you go first, Judge Chuckin. However, there's also that other overlay, which I know, which is the Supreme Court stepping in and the Supreme Court holding the trial again in on ice. And then you've got, we're back to, let's just let the New York case go first and stop waiting around to see what's going to happen in D.C. So my data point is, if they come out early enough and the Supreme Court doesn't stop the D.C. election interference case, I could see a world where on the 15th of February, Mershon, knowing these issues, doesn't take the March 24th date and still defers to Judge Chuck. You know, when you mentioned Susan McDougal there, of course, <laughs> I can not Karen McDougal. Clinton. While, while perhaps, you know, you're on to something, though, because I think it is kind of a, it shows the hypocrisy of where the Republican Party has become. Because remember, they were going after Bill Clinton for, they claim that Susan McDougal was involved in this $300,000 loan with the Clintons. They were never able to prove, you know, they're, they were never able to prove anything. So then they focused using the kind of subpoena power there into like Monica Lewinsky. And then they went, you know, all in on, you know, Monica Lewinsky and, and, and Bill Clinton. This is the modern day um, you know, compare that to the modern day Republican Party. I mean, Karen McDougal, you know, and the catch and kill scheme with Donald Trump. 
uh, which we all know about, which was reported that happened, you know, after he was married to Melania. So did the Stormy Daniels. So did Donald Trump's attempt to hide this, uh, you know, on his books and records and to, you know, and to pay them off in this way. And then, of course, you get to the, you know, kind of other crimes that Donald Trump committed, like, I don't know, trying to overthrow our democracy, um, stealing national defense information. We've got a lot more information about that, you know, even this week. And the Republican Party has just become this completely, like, lawless machine. It's, It's really sad to see, frankly, it was sad to see them going on those witch hunts back in the mid-1990s. Like, we shouldn't forget some of the stuff they were doing back then, but then to point out that y'all were doing the Susan McDougal, you know, real estate thing with Clinton back then that you turned into a Monica Lewinsky thing, and now you're all in on Trump? Like, like, like what? Anyway, I also think, though, Popak, I respectfully disagree that I think no matter what the D.C. Circuit does, this is where we'll see what happens. I think at this point, with your two to three month delay from when that trial was supposed to take place, the federal case in Washington, D.C., on March 4th of 2024, that's now off calendar. So the earliest that trial would happen now would be in May. I think it's actually, you know, it could be fortuitous, you know, the delay in a way, if that trial then gets scheduled for like June or July, you finish the Manhattan District Attorney case, I early May, Donald Trump is a convicted felon, number one, he also has uh, half a billion dollars in verdicts against him. And then at that point, and we're seeing Donald Trump deteriorate now. Then he goes before special counsel Jack Smith in the summer on the Washington, D.C. criminal case. I think that's actually a possible scenario, and you can see why laid out that way. It could be a, a good outcome right there. L- let's talk about what's going on in Fulton County, though, because some great filings uh, there are some powerful filings by uh, Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis, some ridiculous and I think frivolous filings by um, Donald Trump and his co-defendants. And uh, Fawny Willis came with receipts in this filing. I want to talk about that, but Popak, let's take our last quick break of the show. Ever tried to break a bad habit and felt like you're climbing Mount Everest in flip-flops? Yeah, we've been there too. But here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up. It's about switching up. Fume takes your bad habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning, flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing and anxiety while breaking your habit. Right. First time I... Fume is giving listeners legal AF place. Mm-hmm. And if I... Sold subscription. Full recollection of the historical debacle of this kind of Republican Party that... 
the good thing I think about this MAGA stuff is it's like just showed in a raw, adulterated fashion the utter hypocrisy and and who they are. They're not like sneaking around it anymore. It's like here we are, everybody. <laughs> here we are. Here's here's what it is. You know, and when you just take a look at like what's going on in Fulton County, um, the attack on Fawny Willis for having an adult relationship with someone who she knew the relationship, according to all of the declarations, took place after the investigation of Donald Trump started. Um, and that happens sometimes, you know, in, in a work environment. I think that, you know, we, we could have discussions about, about <laughs> that, but we ain't the morality police here on, on Legal AF. Um, and I think that, you know, it, 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 is, it, is what, it is what it is. And it just seems to be this really hypocritical attack on Fawny Willis very personal, vindictive, but she had this personal relationship with Nathan Wade. I think it's tinged with racism and calling people who are supremely qualified, unqualified, where not only have they handled this case incredibly, but their whole life's work has been incredible, undermining their achievements in their career and acting like this is some sort of like get rich quick scheme when you have Donald Trump as a co-defendant or as a defendant in this case with all of the behavior that he's engaged in. Uh, but we'll, give us the latest update, Popak, on what was filed. Maybe you could touch on that photograph, too, of <laughs> Roman's lawyer that was in, that was in the oh. filing. Um, break it all down for us. Okay. Well, first, let me answer the question. That might be on people's minds. Why is it Mike? Ro Why is it Mike Roman that is attacking the prosecutor as a surrogate proxy for Donald Trump? Why Mike Roman in particular? And having done some sleuthing and research about Mike Roman, and I got a hot take going up about it. I think earlier in the week, it, it, it's obvious why it's Mike Roman. Mike Roman is a brass knuckle fighter, um, a political operative who cut his teeth with the Koch brothers. In Coke Industries, he ran something that was joke only half jokingly referred to for the Koch brothers as the KIA, the Coke Intelligence Agency, where he used a CIA former CIA analyst to train his people. He ran um, op, uh, research ops programs, you know, dirty tricks programs for the Koch brothers. Um, and got paid a lot of money to do it, and then got brought in after having helped run Rudy Giuliani's campaign at one time when he was running for mayor, and others got into the world of Donald Trump and got brought into the White House as a person in charge of special projects and research, you know what that means, that's sort of the black ops, and then also got made the election day coordinator, what I've referred to as mule who brought the fake elector certificates in the seven battleground states to Mike Pence. He is known as a brass knuckler, as, as hard-nosed, and as a fighter, and it doesn't surprise me that he's the one that put his lawyer either up to this, and I think he's maybe, I don't know, I, think, I think he's writing part of these this motion practice, because he, his lawyer, Ashley Merchant, apparently was so close to Nathan Wade, the person that he's that she's attacking for being incompetent. I put a pin in that for a minute. When was the last time you heard a criminal defendant 
challenge the credentials of the prosecutor against them, calling for a more qualified prosecutor to prosecute the case. That's what that's what Mike Roman is saying. That guy over there, Nathan Wade, he's never tried a RICO case for racketeering <laughs> against point. a former president. Bring in I somebody want a, else. I want a better prosecutor to I go want after a better me. Prosecutor. <laughs> and, and, and Fawny Willis called it out in her papers. When has a defense a defendant ever done that? Because he's being put up to it by Donald Trump and the others. And so, in a mean-spirited way, as you said, which is tinged. That's putting it mildly with racism and misogyny. They've gone after this black, powerful Fulton County District Attorney and her black uh, fellow colleague, who she may or may well now she's admitted she's dating, but but dated started the relationship after the indictment by the grand jury and after certainly the special purpose grand jury recommended the indictment. So the fact that after some late nights they decided to start dating each other as two consenting adults. Who cares? I love that Phony Willis pointed out in their opposition papers to the motion to disqualify, not just disqualify her and and uh, Nathan Wade, Mike Roman, and now uh, Donald Trump in a Me Too brief, Me Too motion. They want the whole indictment thrown out because she's seeing Nathan Wade on the side. Okay, let's break all this down. Nathan Wade took a pay cut <laughs> to become a special prosecutor. There's no other way to put it. Whether he's being paid $250 an hour or $300 an hour, I am sure, given his practice as a former judge, as a person that was being hired as special counsel throughout the state, who was well-known, who was a go-to person, was doing better than $300 an hour, which may sound like a lot of money to our audience, but you heard our numbers that I gave you earlier for lawyers of his vintage, even in Georgia, would be closer to six, seven, or $800 an hour. So he took a pay cut. He could have made more than $700. $50,000 in two full years doing full-time work in his law practice. That I don't think that's that's beyond dispute. So he takes a pay cut. He starts a relationship with Fawny Willis. Don't they don't want you to hear this? And Carnival Cruise like $1,000 in two full years doing full-time work his law practice that i don't think that's that's beyond dispute so he takes a pay cut he starts a relationship with fawny willis who cares it turns out they split their double tree visits to napa valley and and some cheap cruises on carnival cruise line when they were in off hours and he wasn't working the case in the meantime look at the guy's performance with fawny willis look at their track record they won every major hearing They've got, they had a special purpose grand jury, a regular grand jury. They have fought out, fought off federal removal, trying to take the case across the street to federal court up to the appellate courts. They've gotten Lindsey Graham to testify. They've gotten, you know, four convictions already, including three lawyers for Donald Trump. They, they've gotten, Doing you know, a, a dozen or more cooperating witnesses now to turn state's evidence, including fake electors. And he did it all for just $700,000. I mean, that sounds like the bargain of the century. So why are we even talking about it? And you see it in the mean-spirited filing that came out. I don't know if you caught it, Ben. They they created Mike Roman. And I'll, I'll talk about the, the uh, social media post that, you're, that are just completely blew the doors off of Ashley Merchant, the lawyer for Mike Roman, in a minute. But Mike Roman's um, did not have the right to file a, a uh, uh, two briefs. In his motion, he filed a motion to disqualify. And there's an opposition paper that was filed on briefing set by Judge McAfee 
that Tiffany Willis filed yesterday along with her affidavits and supporting affidavits. That's it. Then there's a reply brief. Then there's the hearing on the 15th of February, which is an evidentiary hearing. But oh no, Mike Roman gave himself his own two bites at the apple second piece of paper. He didn't want the news cycle to, to have her get the final word. So he made up his own paper and filed a a uh, uh, reply, but not a reply, not a full reply, just need to answer the evidentiary hearing issue. And I, it just gives me six pages to go uh, to go trash Bonnie Willis again. And he starts it with, oh, you see, Judge, if we hadn't brought to your attention this salacious relationship of cohabitation between Fawnie and her underling, you'd never know about it, right? Because it's not relevant to anything, because there's no ethical rule or prosecutor ethics rule that's been violated by, by having a relationship. And she points out in her papers that there are defense lawyers in this case representing uh with uh, clients that are at odds in terms of testifying against each other, yet they have pillow talk. There's married couples that are representing defendants in this case. Nobody ever says anything about them. And Ashley Merchant, who spent a long period of time, and in this new paper also, saying that Nathan Wade is not does not have the credentials to prosecute my client, whatever that <laughs> means, right? She, in 2016, <laughs> and we'll put up the photo, She's at a Greek festival, so I think she's partially Greek, with a shirt that says Nathan Wade for judge, and then in her social media post says he's the most ethical, most accomplished, <laughs> reciting his whole biography, wow. his whole recitation, and I thought he wasn't qualified. If he's not so qualified, what are you doing wearing his shirt at the Greek festival pushing for his candidacy to be a judge? And she, she did a little footnote in her response, which was not... If I'm Fawny Willis, I'd move to strike the response. Or if I were Judge McAfee, I would say, you, you don't get another response. That was your response. You, you don't get to create your own briefing schedule. Like, mm -hmm. I like to have another I like to have another closing argument. No, you don't get another closing argument. You get mm -hmm. one. So, mm -hmm. but you know they hurt They hurt Mike Roman and Ashley Merch and the fact that they slid this new paper under the door for the judge. And now he'll give them whatever reply paper. But at the end of the day, this is the takeaway. There is nothing about the relationship that started after the indictment that implicates or undermines the ethics or the indictment itself violates a canon of ethics for Fawny Willis or for Nathan Wade, jeopardizes taxpayer dollars. There's, there's not a shred of evidence, not even in the new paper made up and filed by Mike Roman at the last minute yesterday, that, that has any evidence that Fawny Willis is lining her pocket and financial benefit because you know, she's having a relationship with Nathan Wade and he's making money to do a day's honest labor on that case. That's all he's getting paid at a tremendous discount from his law practice. Speaking about legal fees, he's the opposite. There's not a shred of evidence. And you need to have that evidence in order to get rid of a prosecutor, because otherwise you you can uh, you can. Um, prosecutors are allowed, as a, the Georgia case that she cited in her brief said, they're allowed to have intimate relationships with other people. We don't automatically assume that people are sacrificing their professional ethics because they're also in a relationship. We're human beings. And then she also, uh, Fawny had a good, a good way to respond to Donald Trump's motion, which is basically entirely based on her statements that she made at the uh, historical black church the day before Martin Luther King Day, uh, Martin Luther Jr. Day uh, uh, two weeks ago, in which she defended herself uh, on the pulpit 
said, oh, she violated the rule that prosecutors can't speak outside of the court about the about the case in a way that would prejudice the defendant. Well, how is the pre how is the defendant prejudiced because she's defending herself in a black church? And and uh, Claudia said that's what voir dire, the jury selection process, is for. You can find out if they know anything about my statements on, at the church, and if they didn't, we move on. There's nothing to see here. Now look, I want to get your view. And I've been, I did a hot take about maybe Nathan Wade should step aside and let Phony Willis do her job and not be a distraction, even just for an appearance. But the more I read of what's been filed, I think Scott McAfee needs to do two things on February 15th, and we'll cover it. Unfortunately, it'll be on YouTube, so hopefully some combination of you, me, and Karen can jump on and watch it in real time. I think he should do two things, though, not just one. I think he should put an end after the evidentiary hearing and quickly following it, he should deny the motion to dismiss the indictment and he should take the cloud of the speaking of meteorology for today, take the cloud away that's that's hanging over uh, inappropriately under a uh, funny Willis's head and that of Nathan Wade and, and say there's no grounds uh, to dismiss the indictment nor to dismiss the prosecutors move on. But the second thing I think he has to do because know uh, uh what's it called idle uh, idle hands is the devil's play thing he's got to set the trial date he's got to set the trial date for donald trump and roman and the rest and whereas at the beginning he was like well i'll have a courtroom that's big enough to do one big trial forget it i think he's got to set one big trial in august and have something for them to shoot for because you see what's happening then with all of this idle time you're getting all the acting out and craziness and motion practice that would be a little bit tamped down if he would just set the trial date. I agree with you. There's a hearing February 15th. I don't think Nathan Wade should step aside. Look, uh, did this unfortunately, you know, create some issue that perhaps, you know, you know, shouldn't have been created? I mean, look, the bottom line is that you know that Trump and the co-defendants are going to throw mud against the wall, see whatever sticks. This is, I wanted to follow the data. I didn't want to rush in the last episode or before that to be like, well, I think this is absolutely frivolous. I really wanted to see what was, um, to what was going to come out of this. And again, you know, it's much to do about not just absolutely nothing, but seems to be very vindictive as, as, as well. To that point, I'll disagree with you about one thing, Popak. You kind of cast Roman as this kind of Machiavellian calculating person linked with the Koch brothers. And that's why he's the one doing this. And sometimes I think Occam's razor, the simplest explanation is sometimes the explanation. And I don't quite think it's that, but I think it's something that you kind of put your finger on right there. And, and it's this photo right here of, of Roman's lawyer. Um, that's Roman's lawyer, uh, <laughs> Ashley Merchant right there, wearing the Nathan Wade shirt. And I'll just leave it at this. There seems to be something perhaps a bit more deeply um, personally vindictive <laughs> at Fawny Willis learning that she was in a relationship with Nathan Wade than, that then may meet the eye. And I think when Fawny Willis dropped that Might photo, she was kind of giving us a hint at that. But I think it's actually being driven by Roman's lawyer um, All right. at, at, a, at, a deeper, at a deeper level. And, and look, here's the thing with Roman. Roman's cooperating with special counsel Jack Smith. So that approach does not transmute. He's limitedly cooperating with Jack Smith. 
Well, you know, that's the quote. He's cooperating, whether it's limited or not. He could choose not to and invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. So, look, I don't know if it's, you know, all I know is that there seems to be some deeper personal issues and personal animosity and resentment at at play. You know, so the Gene I, I Schwartz, need more data, but that's my the, initial. Opinion. So the Gene Shorts meant more to you in that photo. I get you. I, I, well, I might I, agree I, with you. Not, not the, it was the fact how funny Willis was specifically uh, <laughs> posting that photo, I think, to signify a little bit of a, of a deeper meaning of, of, right. of what, uh, of I what's like going it. on. If that's true, I like it. <laughs> well, I, I, well, 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 I think there's some personal issues that, and it's deeply rooted in Atlanta politics and Fulton County politics, and and that's kind of driving these very personal uh, attacks. Um, let's move on to the Mar-a-Lago <laughs> document case here involving. Um, you lead you know, on this one. This is you. This is your judge Eileen Kennedy. There's really three issues I I, I want to tackle here, um, and we'll do it in this order. First, let's talk about the new data of this like hidden room, this this locked room um, that Trump changed the locks before the search warrant, what that means. Then let's take on this new story about from the Daily Beast about Waltine Nauta, Trump's co-defendant and body man, his background of uh, seeing how birds of a feather flock together, you know, here um, and, and his past and why Donald Trump brought him on. I think that's illuminating. And then finally, let's conclude with special counsel Jack Smith meeting with Judge Eileen Cannon uh, this past week and what that's all about. Let's start with this this sit this hidden room. The secret room, the changing of the locks, Popak. I know you did a hot take on this as well. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, I was a little surprised by it. Now, let me do a quick primer for legal AF. Legal AFers, you you get a search warrant issued by a federal magistrate in federal court on submissions by the prosecutor, which are not originally made public, um, along with um, affiance people that are going to testify about. Um, while why there's probable cause to believe that there's evidence of a crime located within a certain location. And it's it, it's limited. Um, the judge has to, and they spend a fair amount of time in hearings like this, and I know you've been involved with them too, Ben, where the judge tries to come up with the narrowest scope of the search warrant possible so that constitutional rights aren't being violated for search and seizure. And so you can't just go, well, go look for it anywhere you can find it. Go ahead. Anywhere in Mar-a-Lago, go ahead. Uh, there's a more detailed uh, analysis, molecular analysis by a magistrate judge in order to have that search warrant not ultimately be quashed at the trial court level, the district court level. And so, but here, the subpoena scope, sorry, the search warrant scope was for all rooms, storage, and otherwise where records could be maintained. It was pretty broad at Mar-a-Lago. And, and the FBI, after and this is where the Trump world never gets it right. After a year and a half of voluntary negotiations that went awry with Donald Trump playing hide the documents from the National Archive and the National Archive finally getting a first wave, but not everything from Donald Trump and seeing classified documents in there and freaking out about that, then redoubling their efforts all voluntarily all by demand and uh, with Donald Trump. This is before subpoena. This is before search warrant. 
And then when that all that failed and the Department of Justice started getting insider information from people on the ground and in the know in Mar-a-Lago, that what they were being told by Donald Trump, the National Archive and the Department of Justice, was not true, that there were rooms and locked rooms and movement of boxes and all of and video <laughs> surveillance and then cooperating witnesses, they were like, yeah, no. So they got a subpoena first, which came from a grand jury out of out of D.C., which asked for everything that was classified, national defense information, defined, defined, defined. And that's when Donald Trump's then lawyer and current lawyer in Georgia, Jennifer Little, is reported to have told Donald Trump, because it came out because she, she uh, testified or gave out a testimony to uh, Jack Smith. She told him, OK, boss. If you don't comply with the subpoena, because he was talking a lot about what if I what if we told them that I that I complied? What if we didn't give him everything? What if we took this position or that position? You know, what if we made things disappear? That was literally what he told Evan Corcoran, one of the other lawyers that was representing him at Mar-a-Lago, and and that's when Jennifer Little told him, "Hey, boss, you, you, it's going to be a crime if you don't comply." Literally. You'll be you'll be charged with a crime if you don't comply with the subpoena. And then he still screwed around with the subpoena, hid 30 boxes from Evan Corcoran. This is where we get to the search warrant. And then Evan Corcoran was left, you know, with egg on his face because they sent him into a they Donald Trump apparently staged a room literally with his now co-conspirators, uh Oliveira, the maintenance worker, and uh Walt Now to the body man. And staged a room and, and told Evan Corker, yeah, go in there. Go in there. That's where everything is. You know, no, you don't look anywhere else. Don't look in the locked drawers. Don't go on my desk. Don't, don't come up to my personal residence. Don't don't go into the locked room in my in, underneath the staircase. Don't do any of that. Just look here. And he and he spent, and I've seen the earlier reporting, he spent 20 minutes, which is amazing, especially given the billing, the billing records that you and I talked about earlier. He spent 20 minutes and came out with 38 total documents in a sealed envelope, okay? And again, because the FBI and the Department of Justice had cooperating witnesses on the inside, they knew that that was a lie. And so they went to the magistrate and got the search warrant. This is step three in the process. And that got executed in August of last year, a year ago, August. And that's that was the big, you know, first time a former president has ever had a rate, uh, uh, you know, execution of a search warrant to look for things. Now, then the new reporting is they missed a couple of rooms and they didn't know about a, a certain thing, particularly that while Evan Corcoran was down searching for documents in the room that they told him to go in, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Was at the same time having the lock changed on a closet underneath a stairwell, an old stairwell's extra space. A lot of people have them in their homes that had shelves in it that had always been under the auspices.